Make a joyful noise. Jesus has risen. Easter has come. And Easter has gone. <laughs> we kept these butterflies up here, not just because a peppy worked so hard on them, but because they're beautiful symbols of what uh, resurrection and transformation mean. We are new life, wings that are flying. Last week was an incredible time of worship on Easter Sunday. We had seven, over 780 people in the space worshiping together. It was a beautiful day, yes. And then Easter comes and goes, and we wake up Monday morning, and we find that life hits us in the face again. After eating all those chocolate bunnies, <laughs> thank God, because the Easter outfit no longer fits, we wake up and life is staring us in the face. How do we keep that joy of the resurrection moment in our everyday life, activated in our life, the living presence of God within us. How do we do that? Here at Resurrection MCC, it doesn't just have, we don't believe it's just one day. And in the church calendar, it's not one day, it's a season. But here at Resurrection MCC, resurrection is part of who we are. Spiritual transformation is a core value. We journey together wanting to learn and, and, and activate our faith through our knowledge and through our heart and our being. Spiritual transformation is who we are, part of who we are. And our calling as a congregation, to be that light in the darkness. We are to be the love in, in the face of fear, and we are to be God's peace in the face of uncertainty. It's part of who we are, but how do we do it? And especially in times of uncertainty as a congregation. How do we keep the resurrection moment alive and activated in our daily living? How do we keep strength and vision in a congregation when there is times of an uncertainty? Well, I love our gospel passage today. In the very last verse of John 20, we get a little bit of insight. It says that when you believe that you have life. So it's so simple here. Believing is the key. Believing equates to life. That's how we keep our faith strong. That's how we keep our vision vibrant, is by believing. Well, how does that work for our friends, the disciples, just a little bit after this resurrection? How, how are they doing with this believing stuff? When we check them out, if you remember last week, we heard the verse right before the one we pick up on today. It's where Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And she finds a risen God. She finds her risen Lord. And she is told by Jesus to go and tell the disciples what she has seen and all that he has shared with her. And that's what the verses tell us right before that she goes to the disciples and she says, I have seen the risen Lord. He is alive. And she tells them all that he has said to her. And hours later, we pick up and we realize that what have they done with this news but they have run and hidden and locked themselves in a room for fear. That's how they were doing with this news. All except for Thomas. Thomas didn't make it up to this room of fear. He was doing something, but for whatever it was, he did not follow him in this trap of fear. But we do know from reading along here that they were all involved in a struggle, and the struggle was a struggle of belief. They were shaken. They were being held hostage by their fear and their immobility, and except for Thomas, he was being held hostage by something different, 
uncertainty. He had lost confidence in himself, in his peers, and his God. That's where we find our friends, the disciples, post-resurrection. And that's when Jesus appears, enters the room. Peace be with you. Shock, I'm sure. And they say it moves to joy because he shows light has overcome the darkness. Death has been defeated. He shows them proof that that which had killed is still with them. That which has been buried in a tomb is walking and breathing with them. And so after the shock, he has to say it one more time, peace be with you. Jesus comes bearing precious gifts to these disciples, and the first is peace. My peace I give you. What a precious gift that he would come in the chaos and remind us that I am here. I am with you. That is the most precious gift we are given as a people, a resurrected people. The next gift he gives is, is just as powerful. He gives a mission and purpose. He says, as God sent me, I send you. In John 3.16, we know that God so loved the world that he sent the Son. And Jesus is now looking them in the face and says, I send you. Purpose, mission, peace. And the next gift, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. You know, the most precious sound I have come to know is listening to Cooper and Kennedy's breath in the monitor that sits in Leslie and Mind's bedroom. The sound of their breath. Jesus breathes on them life. As much as we breathe in a day, God is breathing in and through us. It reminds us of, of Genesis. There's only two other places that I can really recall that this particular word was used in Genesis 2-7 when God breathes into the nostrils of humanity and gives us life. Or in Ezekiel 37-9 where God breathes into the dry bones. Life. The breath of God. Precious gift. It is from this gift that we get the last and most precious gift of all, companionship. We are given the ability, the power, and the authority to continue this ministry of Jesus. And what is this ministry that we've been empowered, and now we have the companion and the strength of God to do forgiveness? John 1, it says, For the Lamb of God has come so that the sins of the world are gone. We are just to continue this ministry of forgiveness. What an awesome task. We get to tell the world you're free. You are free in Christ. You are free in God. You've been forgiven. Live a liberated life. In this moment, Jesus reclaims these disciples. In this moment, he offers forgiveness and says, it doesn't matter that you may have run or hid or I call you. I commission you, and I bless you with my continual companionship. Amen. And so how does this work for them? In this moment where their faith has been shaken and now they're giving this, how does this task, this new journey of mission and purpose, how does this work out for them? Well, their very first job, their very first missionary task is Thomas. 
their first person that they get to try this, this faith that's been restored out. They get to say, we have seen, we have touched. And Thomas isn't buying it. This is how it worked out for them. Who is this Thomas guy? Well, we all know who Thomas is because every second Sunday of Easter, we are introduced with the Gospel of John, chapter 20, 19 through, I think, 30, I don't know. <laughs> we are given the scripture every second Sunday. It's the Gospel passage. There's three years in the lectionary reading, but every Sunday following Easter, we get this Gospel passage. So we know who this guy is. We've come to know him as Doubting Thomas. But who is he? The first time we're introduced to Thomas is in chapter 11 of the book of John. And in, in this time of... Um, Jesus' journey is when Lazarus is sick, and they come to tell him, and at some point he decides it's time to go. Lazarus has passed away, and he wants to journey to see Lazarus and the family. Well, the rest of the disciples are not really piqued about this because they're going to a place that's very, very close to Jerusalem. And the last few times that they've been in Jerusalem, the, the authorities have tried to seize and kill Jesus. And so they recognize danger. They smell it in the air. And they said, no, we don't need to be doing that. And they try to discourage Jesus from going there. Except for Thomas. Thomas says, let us go with Jesus so that we may die with him. It appears that Thomas may be one of the disciples that understands, instead of pulling out a sword to defend, he understands that that loving and having God in your life may mean laying one's life down for a friend. It seems like he might understand a little bit about this ministry that we've been empowered to do. The next time we see Thomas is in chapter 14 of John. This is an interesting time where Jesus is actually preparing the disciples for what's about to happen, the death and resurrection. He says, I say these things so that you might believe. Sounds familiar. And so in this time of moment, he says, I'm going in, you know, just as a passing thing. And oh, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you will know the way. You probably could hear a pin drop. They had to be thinking, what is he talking about? But not Thomas. Thomas says, uh, Lord, how do we know how to get where you're going? How will we know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how will we know the way? I like this Thomas guy because he's a realist. <laughs> he says, I want the road map. I want to know how I get there, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Tell me how to do this thing called church. I want to know how to get there, God, because I'm following you, even if it means dying. Give me the road map. This Thomas was faced, though, here in a moment of uncertainty. I get this picture. So they all go up to this room and they lock themselves in fear. Their faith is shaken. But the picture I get of Thomas, he doesn't go up to the room. I see him just walking around town. He's trying to find that road. Where am I going? How do I get there? I know he's out here. Or maybe Thomas was just saying, I'm just going to die with him. I said I was going to die with him. Where are you, authorities? I'm right here in the middle of the city. Because I'm going to die for my faith. Because that's what I know. That's what I was, thought was the plan. I, I'm, I'm supposed to follow. I, when I hear Thomas holler out to his peers, I don't hear so much a lack of faith as rage. He was feeling the blood and guts of deep loss, confusion, 
And we know it because he describes it bloody. I won't believe until I see those scars and the blood and guts of the hands, until my hand is in his side. He was feeling so much pain that his words wounded those as well. Can you imagine how his peers heard this? They had journeyed with him. And yet in this moment, their joy could not be his. They were trying to say, but we've seen him. He's alive. And we've been commissioned. Our words can wound when we are wounded. And Jesus appears again. Peace be with you. Part of me thinks that this time when he's saying peace, he's talking about the church. Peace be with you. Words can wound. Wounded people can wound people. <laughs> Peace be with you. You know, I, I, I think that we can see that they were shaken in their faith and he was shaken with their uncertainty. And the reason why I say that is because the opposite of faith is not doubt, but apathy. And they were frozen in their fear. They couldn't move in their ministry. But Thomas, you know what he was suffering from? Uncertainty. He couldn't see the ministry. He couldn't see it. Because he only knew to see what was before and before. And so now it's like he had lost certainty that he even knew what to do. He lost certainty how to do it without his leader. And he lost faith in his peers that they would know what to do either. Shaken faith. Moments of doubt in Jesus. But faith and doubt are wonderful, wonderful tools. Because doubt actually is an inquiry. I don't, it's an inquiry that leads to faith. Fearless search for truth in moments of doubt is what led him to say, my Lord and my God. He believed. Doesn't tell us that he actually touched. It was in that moment of mercy and grace that it bathed over him that he was able to see it again. Some things you have to believe to see. There's a wonderful uh, story called Polar Express. It's been made into uh, a movie, so you may be familiar with it. There's a little boy named Hero Boy. And he is in that point in his life where he's not quite sure to believe in Santa Claus. Santa Claus. And so he doesn't go to the mall and get his picture made with Santa, and he doesn't write out his list and send his letter to Santa Claus. But he does make sure his sister sets out those cookies for Santa Claus. And so he's laying in bed, and he's... He wants to hear. You can hear he's really wanting to hear those sleigh bells come. And instead, he hears the thunder, and he lows out, and there's a locomotive. There's a train that's come down the street. And he goes out there, and the conductor says, come on board. He's a little leery, but he gets on that train. And he is in, with the rest of the movie, he's in a whirlwind, uh, letting himself go in this uncertain journey given himself over to the not knowing. Well, there's someone that keeps kind of gnawing at him during this trip. His name is Hobo. Hobo's got some interesting advice for him about Santa Claus. Hear this. What exactly is, is your persuasion on the big man since you brought him up? Well, I, I want to believe. But... But you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be let down to Primrose Bath. You don't want to be caught. 
more duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded! Seeing is believing. Am I right? <laughs> what is the persuasion of this big guy, he says? Well, I want to believe. I need to believe. He finds out because believing equates to life, a journey of joy. We get to join Hero Boy in this to realize that some things, some things, the best things in life are those very things that we will never see or we cannot see but that we come to believe in. Believing equates to life. If you have found yourself after Easter trying to understand how you can live day to day with that living presence of God in you, Jesus breathing through you and the Holy Spirit empowering your ministry. Jesus is here to say, peace be with you. My love goes before you. You are now the living, breathing reminders of my love in the world. And go out of these spaces Go out of those closed, tight places, even if you're unsure, because it is in going and moving and activating that, that's where you'll find signs of hope and life and love. Jesus came to reclaim us on Easter. Blessed are the ones who have not seen and believe, for they shall have life in his name. Amen.